Okay. All right, so welcome everybody. So we'll start, of course, with uh, thank you to all of the, uh, to everybody who was sponsored. So, so first and foremost, we'll to, we want to thank Jonathan and Tamar Miller for sponsoring the series in memory of Ted and Pauline Miller, Zichronom Libracha. Thank you so much. Uh, and then uh, we have, thank God, many sponsors here in Adar. Uh, we have the Aron family uh, in honor of their 20th wedding anniversary, to uh, Mr. Anonymous for the Rafuah Shlema of Al Chole Israel, to uh, Shachar and Alex Avraham celebrating one year of, uh, of Yishuv Haaretz and their wedding anniversary, to Joe and, Joe and uh, Jonah Brook in memory of Joe's mother on her 10th Yurtzeit, Brent and Julie Eisen in memory of Brent's mother on her 15th Yurtzeit. Uh, thank you to Anonymous in honor of a miracle that saved the life of a member of Shirat David. Okay, wow. And uh, a big thank you to, uh, to the weekly sponsors, Sharon and Avshalom Katz, who are sponsored in honor of the bat mitzvah of their granddaughter, Ora Katz, and a memory of Chai Rachel Bastavi Hirsch, Sharon's mother. And also thank you to Diana and Simon Rosenfelder, who sponsored in memory of Diana's father, Shlomo Ben Aryeh Zerchon Levracha, Shama Shavan Aliyah. Okay, amazing. So here we are, David HaMelech, David HaMelech. We've been waiting, uh, waiting a long time to dive into David Melech. And I want to start with a, uh, with a medrash. Okay, so if you look at num- source number one, the Yalkut Shimoni that you may have heard of in the past, it may be familiar to you, but we'll try to understand it a little bit more deeply this time around. So the medrash says that we, we have the Pasuk in Bereshis. It says, Zesefer toldos Adam, so when this is the sefer of the uh, the toldos of Adam, the story of, of Adam Harishon, Hashem who was created, Hashem created him uh, in his in his image. So the medrash says, So we learn from here what is the sefer toldos Adam that Hashem showed him it means that God showed him all of future human history. Everybody who would come from him. He's the father of all humanity. And Herahu David. And he showed him David HaMelech. Chayav chakukim lo shalosh So David HaMelech was, uh, right, God had, had it written down there that he was going to live for three hours. Right? As an infant, he'd live for three hours and then he would leave the world. Amar Lefana. So, he, you know, Adam HaRishon said, Rebono shalolam lo Right, is there any fixing that we can do? For, right, I guess he saw, there, look, there are many babies that didn't survive over the course of history, but he saw that this was not Stama baby. This was not a regular baby. So what can we do, says Adam, to, to, for this incredible soul? Right, is there no fixing to give him more than three hours? So says Hashem, Kach alta machshava this, uh, this is what I've said. This is what I've decided. So Amar, Amarlo, Kama shana, Shani Chayai. So says Adam, really amazing, right? How long am I going to live? Amarlo elef shanim, you're going to live a thousand years. Amarlo yesh matana barakia, right? Can I give gifts, you know, up there in heaven? Can, can it work this way? Amarlo hein, Hashem says yes. So Amarlo shivim shanam ishnotai yeyu lemazal zeh. So Adam pledges 70 years of his thousand years of his life to give over to David HaMelech so that he should be able to live. So he makes it official. He stamps it. And, and who signs on it? Hashem, Matatron, the angel, and Adam. So Amar Adam, Ribono Shololam, Yafud Zu, Malchut Uzmirot Halalu, Netunot Loba Matana, Shivim Shana, Sheyichyev, Yehem Zamir Lefanecha. So Adam says, Master of the universe, the, the, the beauty that will come from this person. Right, this extraordinary malchus that will come from this person. Right, these these miros, right? They're given, right, to him as a right. We're giving him a matana of seventy years so that he should live and he should be able to sing before you, Hashem. Wow. Okay, <laughs> David Amelech. So, the question here, right? We can ask a lot of questions, but you know, why was David only supposed to receive three hours before he was given this incredible gift of seventy years? Right? Zalostam, right? There's, there's something here, right? So that's the first question. Uh, and why was Adam willing to give of his own life 70 years? Okay, could be that he lived a thousand years, so, you know, he had, he had what to work with. But still, right, 70 years is a long time. 
Why was he willing to give that to this particular soul, this particular child? Was it before or after the chet? Ah, so good question. I would assume that it's after the chet, because otherwise, before the chet, he didn't know that he was going to die. And then Hashem says, I'm bringing death to the world. Right, so how long then will Adam live? Who knows? Now, I don't know if that really fits with the Pasuk. I, you know, but we're, we're, in, we're in the world of Midrashim, so it doesn't really matter. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, right, but here, what matters here is not, the, is not what, what, what's literally true. What matters here is what Chazal are trying to teach us about Adam and about David. Right? So to understand this deeper, right, hopefully by the end of tonight, when we get to God willing to Marav on time, um, we'll have at least an approach to begin to try to understand what this Medrash is all about. Now, the background of David HaMelech, I think we all know, is right, the father of Mashiach, is famously murky. Right? David HaMelech's background, his genealogy, this is, it's a, you can't avoid it when you, when you talk about David HaMelech. Right? Ruth, his great-grandmother, descends from incest. Right? She comes from Moab. Right? The, the, uh, the son and grandson of Lot, right? Okay. Uh, from Lot and his daughter, and that incest. Uh, Ye, right? his Yishai, descend, right? his, his father, descends from, from Peretz, who's one of the twins that's born to Tamar and Yehuda. Also not exactly a, a normal standard kosher relationship, right? And then, of course, you have the whole relationship of Ruth and Boaz, right? Whether the whole question of whether his great-grandmother and her conversion to Judaism was actually kosher, right? Eventually, of course, we paskin, yes, that she was was Jewish. But it was up in the air for generations. It was uncertain. There was like a whole haziness over the house of of David HaMelech. All right, can Moabite women convert? Is that allowed? Right, because Moabite men could not, so it was unclear about the women, right? It was an unsettled question. And then Chazal add even more into the story to make it even murkier, like purposely so, right? So if you look at number two, um, and I'm thinking maybe just to, to skim through this in the English, but here's, we can read through in the Hebrew. But basically, essentially, this is like a, the Medrash gives a fascinating backstory, uh, right? There are different opinions. Was he the, the son of a beloved wife or was he the son of, a, of, of a, a wife from whom Yishai had been separated? So the whole story that's given here is that when Yishai realized that there were people who questioned the legitimacy of Boaz and Ruth, um, and that, and his own Jewishness. He wasn't actually right, questioning his own status because it goes by the by the mother whether a person is Jewish. So, if, if Ruth is not Jewish, Yishai is not Jewish. So when when Yishai realized that there were a lot of questions about this, uh, he separated from his wife because maybe I'm not Jewish and how can I live together with a Jewish woman? And so, but he still wanted to to bring children to the world. So he made a whole situation where he freed. His non-Jewish, his non-Jewish slave, a woman, so that he could then marry her, right, and take her and have children with her. But this woman, who had been the servant of his actual wife, right, felt pretty awkward about it and told the wife what was going on, who, had, who was now forcibly separated from Yishai. Talk about a messy situation. And then uh, they, they pulled a Rachalea, a Rachalea, where, where Yishai came in and he thought he was with this other woman, but really he was with his own wife. <laughs> it's like a crazy, a crazy story. And out of that union came David HaMelech. And then, of course, when his wife gets pregnant, right, because he doesn't know it's her, and, you know, what's going on, right? Who did she become pregnant from? He didn't realize it was, it was from him, right? Just like it's a, it's a repeat of Yehuda and Tamar, right? It's a whole, what a crazy, crazy situation. And so when David HaMelech is born, right, the, he was seen as, as being illegitimate, right? He was, so his brothers, his older brothers, who had actually, who were born from the same mother, but where there were no questions about them, they were, right, they looked down on him. He was not really part of the crowd, right? He was, he was sent out to go, to go hang out with sheep, right? David Amelech was ba- essentially banished because he was an embarrassment to the family. Ah, so we're going to talk about those physical features. Uh, just, just unbelievable. So, so, that's the general gist, but it's worth reading through the whole Medrash. Really, uh, really, really fascinating stuff, right? And that's why, you know, we find in Tehillim, I-, I wish I was more of an expert in Tehillim. I'm not. I'm just basically three weeks ahead of everybody here. That's all. Because <laughs> I'm not any uh, great scholar of Tanakh. But whatever I- whenever I can, if I'm able to find a reference and a connection, 
you know, Tehil, so much of Tehillim is from David HaMelech. And ideally, we would learn Tehillim together with David HaMelech and try to match up what he's saying in Tehillim with the experiences that he's having in, in Sefer Shmuel. And here, number three, right? This, I, you know, we know this Pasuk, right? My father, if my mother, my father, they forsake me, right? Hashem will take me up. Uh, David HaMelech's life, as we'll see, it's defined by his relationship with Hashem, which was a different kind of a relationship with Hashem, one that, that certainly Shaul, but really most of us probably can only dream of, a relationship of such extraordinary intensity and closeness, Right, but and and which is one that perhaps derived from the fact that he he's this outsider, right? Even though he comes from a royal line, right? His great grandfather is Boaz. Boaz was the shofet. Boaz is the descendant of of Yehuda and Peretz, right? I mean, incredible. He, on the one hand, he has royal lineage, and on the other hand, he's a complete outsider. It's a fascinating, fascinating combination. So, why is it that David? the father of Mashiach, has to come into the world this way, right? Why is it that his background has to be so murky? Um, why does he have to be rejected by so many? Right? Why did God set it up in such a way? Right? This is one of the most classic and famous questions. We will not adequately answer it this week. Uh, maybe not ever, right? And there's, deep, there's so much deep Kabbalah, Hasidus, Rav Tzadok, Kohen, Milublah. Everybody talks about this question. It's so profound and so deep. So we're only going to scratch the surface. Um, but, but perhaps we can begin to offer one approach today. Okay. Now, let's turn to the Navi itself, right? how we get introduced to David HaMelech. It's such a fascinating, fascinating chapter. So the, the Navi, right, we begin here in chapter 16, number four. Vayumur Hashem el Shmuel. Hashem says to Shmuel, how long are you going to mourn for Shaul? I have, I'm disgusted with him, right? I've rejected him. This language is very strong. Shmuel used it in the, in the last chapter when he talked to Shaul, and then he never saw Shaul again in his lifetime. It's a very strong language, right? So stop mourning over him, right? Enough with the mourning. And, and I think what we see here is the special relationship that Shmuel had with Shaul. He was so angry and so pained, right? If, I don't know if anyone remembers the last, the last uh, class that we did about Shaul. I mean, the language that he uses, it's so furious and intense. It's like a jilted lover. I mean, I, I don't know how else like, to describe such language because Shmuel had this special close relationship with Shaul, uh, which he never develops as far as we know with David HaMelech. It's, it's very interesting. Shmuel, like Shaul was his first. You know, that was his first king. And uh, Hashem says, you've got to get over this mourning. Stop mourning and sitting there and crying about Shaul. It's over. Now, when we say it's over, it doesn't mean it's physically over. Shaul will continue to be king for quite some time. But in Hashem's mind, right, it's over. And therefore, you have to move on. I need you, you're the Navi. You need to be working alongside of me and not the physical reality in which Shaul is still king, right? I, now we're working, now you're operating on Hashem's timeline. Um, so malei karnecha shemen. So fill your horn with oil. And I will send you, right? I'm sending you now to the house of Yishai, Beit Halachmi from Beit Lechem from our neighborhood. Because I see among his sons a king. Right? Very interesting. So how can I go? Right? Shaul, as we'll see, is. He's not in a great place. He's not in exactly a happy place. So if he finds out that I'm going to anoint another king while he's alive, he'll kill me. Mm-hmm. And so, right, so take a heifer with you, right, and make a whole story that you're going to bring a sacrifice to do a suda soda or something like that. You know, just create a cover story. And you'll call Yishai to come. And that's how you'll connect with him and his family. Right, and I'll tell you what you will do, and, and you will anoint the one that I will tell you to anoint. Right, so Hashem is being cagey. Right, it made me think of where else is Hashem cagey about something very holy? Right, in Sefer Devarim, where Hashem says, The place that I will show you. We're never told Yerushalayim, right? The place that I will show you in the future. It's, it's fascinating. Why not just tell us Yerushalayim? Right, that's a whole. 
question in its own right. So why not just tell us that it's David? Right? Why make Shmuel go through this whole process? It's fascinating. Uh, so Vayas Shmuel, it's Hashem. So Shmuel does what Hashem says. He comes to Beit Lechem. Um, so the, uh, the elders of the city came to him trembling, you know, this is not a stom person, Shmuel. And they probably heard what he just said to Shaul, who know, you know, but I mean, if anybody witnessed that, yikes, right? Um, not a, not a pretty situation. So what is he coming for? Is he happy? Is he, is he, is he happy with us or is he unhappy with us when the Navi shows up in your town? Um, and so he says, don't worry, right? Shalom, right? They say, Shalom Boechar, are you coming, you know, in peace? Don't worry, I'm coming in peace to bring a sacrifice to Hashem. Come, sanctify yourselves. Right, and he, what, he sanctifies Jesse and his sons, whatever that means. He calls them to the sacrifice, but they all come, they all participate. Now, what's going on here? There's, there's, there's uh, some interesting language, right? If you look here, Hashem says, says to Shmuel, Malay karnecha shemen, fill your horn with oil in the first Pasuk. But if you go back to when Shmuel anointed Shaul, number five, Vayikach Shmuel et pach hashemen. Hashemen, right? It was, it's a pach, not a keren. He uses a pach of shemen to anoint Shaul and a keren of shemen to anoint David. What's going on here? What's the difference? Ah, so that's a good question, right? What's the difference? Because he was sneaking in. So a pach is sort of like a, a standard practical <coughs> vessel that you would use to hold oil, right? Like what you have in your kitchen that holds the olive oil. Ceramic. Right, but in the old days, they didn't have plastic. So, you know, ceramic. But that's essentially, it was a, it was a functional vessel. Whereas a keren is something very different. Right? We, know, we know from our davening every day. Right? That word keren. Right? It's, it's, such a, it's, so, it's very powerful. Right? What is a keren? A keren is a horn, but keren can also, also means the glory. Right? I think it's a, we have one of the Avinu Malkenus right, that we say is uh, to raise a keren meshichecha. Right? The glory of Mashiach. So it says the Gemara... Um, this connects to Chana, okay, to Shmuel's mother, in this, in, right, where it says, She says, My heart exalts to Hashem. My horn is exalted, right, in Hashem. So, Rama Karmi doesn't say Rama Pachi, says the Gemara. It says Rama Karmi. Right, so David Ushlomo Shenimshechu Bekeren, right? David and his son Shlomo, who were anointed with a keren of a horn of oil, a more glorious vessel, a kingly vessel. It's like when Moshe came off of the mountain with the second Luchot. Keren, yeah, very good. There's something very radiant, yeah, exactly. Something, keren is, a, is, a, is the opposite of functional, right? And we'll come, so we'll come back to that in just a moment, just to finish the Gemara. Right, so, so David and Shlomo, who were anointed with a keren, nimshecha malchutan, right? So their, their reign continued, right? And, and for, for eternity, right? We're waiting for the, the children of David, the son of David to come back. Shaul v'yehu, right, who comes later, right, from the 10 tribes, shenimshechu b'pach, right? They were anointed with a pach, a much less glorious vessel, lo nimshecha malchutan, right? Their, their malchus did not last, um, and we know it was, it was temporary, right? We, because Yaakov had given the bracha to Yehuda, that it was meant to be with him. The royalty was meant to be with him, not with, Sha, not with Binyamin, not with Yosef, and so on and so forth. So when we say harem keren meshichecha in Avinu Malkenu, this, can, this is a good practical thing to know, to think about. When, you know, it'll help us have more kavana when we do Avinu Malkenu. Right? What does that mean? Raise the glory of the Mashiach. It's so relevant for us. We're already in Mashiach. Mashiach is happening. Right, the, this long process of Mashiach is happening. But what we still haven't seen yet is the Keren Meshichacha. Right? We haven't seen the glory of Hashem's Mashiach in, in its full sense yet. That's what, part of what we're waiting for. Right? That's what we're still davening for. Right? As Rav Shmuel Eliyahu says, over 80% of the prophecies of Mashiach are already fulfilled. So in that sense, we have a lot of Mashiach, but we don't have the glory yet. 
right? I mean, except for, uh, you know, the Orthodox Jews and, and some nice Christians in Texas and Florida, right? Everybody else seems to hate us. So our glory is not quite there yet, right? So what's going on, right? Where, where is our Karen Meshichecha? That, the process is not yet complete. We're still davening for that. Um, so, so there's something, you know, altogether different and glorious. And I think that we'll sense that with David HaMelech in a way that we never sensed with, with uh, Shaul HaMelech, right? There's a certain glory, something, you know, that lifts you up. You feel, it's sort of like the difference between, I don't want to knock anybody, so, uh, you know, it's sort of like the, the, between learning a dry safer and then, learn, and then reading like a letter from Ruth Cook. You know, the Sefer is Torah. It's beautiful. It's eternal. It's wonderful. It's amazing. Shaul HaMelech is somebody we're eternally thankful for, right? I mean, he brought Am Yisrael together and defeated our enemies, right? And, and everything that David did, he built on top of Shaul. And yet, it, there's, it's not Karen Meshichecha. There's no, the glory isn't there. The poetry isn't there. David HaMelech brings the glory and he brings the poetry, Right, David. Right, that's like the Rav Cook. You read a you read a letter from Rav Cook. He could be writing about you know how, they, how there's a shortage, you know, there's of mashkichim in Rehovot, and you're like jumping out of your chair because he, it's like poetic and it's just and you're about to cry. You're like, I don't know why I'm crying. He's talking about there, like a shortage of mashkichim, but somehow he says it in such an extraordinary way. Right, he is Mayain David Hamelah. Right, there's a there's that a poetry there, a glory there. Um, that we never were able to find with Shaul. Again, not to take, right? Shaul has a different role. He's from the children of, of Rachel. He followed in the way of, of Mashiach ben Yosef, which is much more physical and in the world. And we need all of that, right? Just like, uh, look, Rav Shlomo is, is, you know, he's talking, he talk, he'll talk like David HaMelech and, and Rav Kook, but, but if we didn't have the people here building the shul, right, making the shul happen, there'd be no pulpit right, for Rav Shlomo. So we're not knocking Mashiach ben Yosef. We're not knocking Shaul. Right? But David Melech can come on top of that, and he is the Karen Meshichecha. Shaul is Meshichecha. He's the first one. He's the first Mashiach. Right? He is anointed. Right? But, but David will be the one who will come above and beyond. Right? This is what we're davening for, the glory of Am Yisrael. And so when we say, Etzemach David Avdecha, right? the, the, and, and that, I, I think I put it in here. Yeah, number seven. Etzemach David Avdecha Meheirat Hatzmiach. We're asking for the, the offshoot of David HaMelech. The flower, Karno Tarum Bishuatecha. His pride should be raised high right, with, with, by your salvation. That's what we're waiting for, the pride. We already have so much. We, have, we are living through Shaul Amelech. And we're, we're pretty, we, we've got Shaul Amelech. We have, you know, we have the Knesset. That's Shaul Amelech. We're waiting for David. But there's another really important point here, another hint to who David is going to be. In that first Pasuk, it says, Hashem says, right, I'm sending you to Yishai Beit Halachmi, ki ra'iti bivanav, because I see in, among his sons, li melech, a king for me. A king for me. So says the Radak, right, it doesn't say, lo amar li Yisrael melech, that I see among his sons a king for the people of Israel. Right, rather it says, li, shiye avodati, because he will serve me. V'yishma elai l'chol asher David will listen to me and he will serve me, right? Unlike Shaul, Sha'avar al-Mitzvotai, who did Shaul serve? He served the people. And that's beautiful if you're a democratically elected representative, right, of, of the people. You serve the people, right? State of Pennsylvania votes you in, you got to serve Pennsylvania, right? Every, every schlepper uh, union head comes to Washington, you're going to sit with him and give him a cup of coffee, right? Because you, you serve him. And that's who Shaul served when the whole, with the whole story, story of Amalek. The people wanted to keep the animals alive. And so they did, right? Shaul did because he served the people. David is an altogether different kind of king. He serves Hashem. It's a completely, completely different kind of king. This is what Hashem wants, right? And that's, you know, and I think this is, you know, and for, for our time, right, I think that's the, we also have to ask ourselves this question. Are our, who are our leaders serving? The truth is in Israel, I'm not sure they serve anybody, neither Hashem nor the people. The way it's set up, I just read Amit Segal's book. Yeah. You know that book? Yeah. So uh, I got an advanced copy of the translation. I didn't read it in Hebrew, I'm being honest. But uh, it was the second best-selling book in Israel last year after Bibi's autobiography. So when it comes out in English, everybody should read it. It's the most unbelievable history of Isra- Israeli politics. Just fascinating. But the way Israel's government is created is that 
Like, none of these people in the Knesset are meshubah to any of us, right? It's not like, you know, in America where they, 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 they serve their, their constituents in their particular district, right? Oh, we vote for a party. I don't know. They choose whoever they want for the party, and the party does whatever they want, right? They, can, they, they do whatever they want. They're not really meshubah to us, but I'm not sure, sure that they're meshubah to Hashem, right? So maybe it's the worst of all worlds. But, uh, but, but what we are looking for ultimately will be a prime minister, a leader, who's going to be, be serving Hashem and not, the, and not what he thinks is going to get him elected. But where do we see that in the text where that he's different? Than, because right now it just seems that he's like born differently and like how do we know that he's different and he's like someone who serves Hashem? So these are all hints to the future. We haven't even met David yet. Okay. Right? It says Lee, right? These are like the Radak is looking, knowing what's going to happen in the future and who David is, right? Looking at Hashem's language. Obviously Hashem's language is very precise. Right, Lee Melech. It's a king for me, right? And and noticing what I thought that was such a sharp and brilliant reading. Um, but this is all hints. Wait till we get to to David himself, right? Uh, incredible. But now is, this is such an amazing, amazing uh, little story, right? The where where Shmuel has to figure out who's going to be the king among Yishai's sons, right? Now all of a sudden it's narrowed down from millions of people to one family, right? Is Shmuel going to have, how, how hard could this possibly be for Shmuel? Apparently a lot harder than one might think. So he comes and, and, and he sees the first son of Yishai, Eliav. And he thinks, wow, I am standing in front of the one who I'm about to anoint. Right? He was clearly a tall and good looking man, right? I, I would imagine he was an impressive person, right? Reminding Shmuel probably of, Shaul, who was the tallest, you know, best-looking man in Israel. So he said, ah, this is, this is the kingly prototype. Vayomer Hashem el Shmuel. Hashem says to Shmuel, al tabet el mar'ehu. Don't look at, his, at what he looks like. El gevoa komato, or how tall he is. Ki Again, that same language. I'm disgusted with this guy. <laughs> wow. It's very powerful. Ki lo asher yireh ha'adam. Ki adam yireh la'inayim v'ashem yireh la'levav. Right, because it's not as man sees, right? Man sees with his eyes, but but Hashem sees, I see, right, the heart. Right? So if you see here what I did in this puzzle, how many times do we find the word ra'ah? Right? The the root word ra'ah seeing. Right? It's four times in one pasuk. Hashem is sending Shmuel a message. Right? What is he telling him? Right? It's not you gotta look deeper. This is not about what a person looks like. Which is hard to believe. Shmuel Hanavi, right? He's equal to Moshe and Aaron, as we talked about. Moshe v'Aaron b'cho Hanav Shmuel b'korei Shemo. He's on the on par with Moshe and Aaron, and and Hashem is ripping him. It's unbelievable, right? I, I mean, just 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 incredible. Uh, so what happens? So he calls the second son of Inadav. And then Hashem says, "Nope, Hashem. I don't want. No, that's that's the wrong one." Then Yishai brings Shama, the third brother. And he says, nope, not that one. And then Yishai brings all the rest of the seven sons before Shmuel. Vayomer Shmuel, Yishai, lo vachar Hashem ba'ila. Hashem has not chosen any of them. And he says to Yishai, ha-tamua ne'arim, is that it? Or do you have any more kids? Vayomer odshar ha-katan ebatzon. Oh, there's another small one. He's out with the sheep. Can you imagine? He didn't even invite him. That's how excluded David HaMelech is. It's incredible. Right? It says, right? Go get him. I'm not leaving until you bring him. Um, now, what we're seeing here is really, really extraordinary, right? Hashem says to, to Shmuel, you know, you think, you know, you think that you can see clearly, right? So if you look on the next page, it's a little bit out of, it's a little bit out of order. Um, in, in number 13. So this was early on when Shmuel first met Shaul. So he responds to Shaul and he says, Yes, I am the seer. I'm the one who sees. You're looking for the seer, for the Navi? I am the one who sees. So of course, as we know, Hashem judges the righteous people very, in a very tough way. So you're the one who sees? Really? You're the seer. I'm going to show you that you're not, you don't really see. 
Eimatai, so when will that happen? Right, and I'll show you, I will show you which one of his sons is going to be king. So what happens, right? He comes and he thinks that Eliyav is the king, is going to be the one. And he was wrong. So, and, so Hashem waited to give Musr to, to, to Shmuel for, I guess it's been a, a, a couple of years, right? Unbelievable. You're, are you really the Roeh? I'm the Roeh. I'm the one who sees. Hashem says, I see in a way that man cannot see, even a Navi, even a Navi. Um, and it's, uh, you know, really, that's a, power, a powerful, powerful Musr. But back to the page before, right? So what is happening here, right? Who is this person, right? Who is this, uh, you know, what, what's going on here? I think I put, the, I apologize, I think I put a couple of the sources out of order. My apologies. Um, how could it be, right? You know, David is completely, completely forgotten, right? He thinks that Eliav is going to be the one, right? And yet, right, it, it, Hashem is so much deeper. Um, so... If we look at number 14, Rav Avinar here, I think, brings this lesson in a very, very powerful way. Right? Who are we? We think that we see. We think that we know who the Mashiach is going to be. Right? We think we know who David, who the great leaders are. But says Hashem, I'm the one who sees. Now, it's a beautiful story. We could just leave it there about David and Shmuel. And Shmuel learns a very important lesson. But everything in, in the Navi, as we always say, is meant for our time as well. And, and to me, it, uh, this was unbelievable. Rav Avinar quoting Rav Tzvi Yehuda Kuk. Right? It was just his yardside on Purim. So we're learning the Ilui Nishmasa. So says Rav Avinar, right? Ha'im ivrim ata, you know, ivarim atem, are you blind? So he says, how do you not, you know, there's so many Jews out there that don't recognize that we're, we're, we're living through extraordinary times, that Hashem is speaking to Am Yisrael in a new way, in a different way. Do you not see what has happened in the last hundred years? How is it that you can continue to live in Brooklyn or Los Angeles or wherever you're living in the world and think that nothing has changed? Right? Well, again, there's not a, an attack on Aliyah, on people not making Aliyah. It's, it's more, he's attacking people's perspective. People who think that it's the same old, same old, as, the same as it was in the year 1823. Uh, 2023 is the same thing. Right? Yishaya, you know, cried out about this. Right? That one day, right, the deaf will hear and the blind will, will, will be able to see. Meaning, there are people who are, who are deaf and blind. They don't see and they don't hear what is happening literally right around them. What they're living through, they don't see. They don't notice. Right? So, who are these people who are deaf and blind? Right, mi iver kiim avdi. The pasuk, right? We read in the pasuk, the, who is the blind one? It's my servant. Lo medubar ba anashim rechokim mitorah. So says Rav Avinah. We're not and quoting Rav Kook. We're not talking about about Jews who are distant from Judaism and know nothing about our people and our history and who we are. Eladavka ba anashim bale toar al yom. But we're talking specifically about people who are lofty people, holy people, ovde Hashem, who are deaf and who are blind. Right, Medubar b'Malachim. Um, we're talking about holy angel, angelic type of people. Reading Talmidei Chachamim. Right, Cheresh Kamalachai Yeshlach. Right, when, when it talks about angels, it often is referring to Torah scholars, meaning that that even angel, angelic Torah scholars can be deaf. So it's the Talmidei Chachamim Heim Ha'ivrim. Talmidei Chachamim Domim L'Malachai Asharis. Talmidei Chachamim Shleimim B'Torah V'Yadus. So you have these holy Jews, Torah scholars, who are complete in Torah and, and Yiddishkeit, and they are deaf and they are blind. They They don't grasp what is happening now over these last hundred years. Instead of being able to look at the big picture, right? If you step back and look at what has happened to the Jewish people over the last hundred plus years, right? It it's, it, it bowls you over, right? It's shocking. 
right? And, and if we don't feel shocked at any given moment, we all, even those of us who believe this is shocking, we don't always feel shocked. It's because we're caught up in that moment in the small things, in the day-to-day, and in the, uh, in the Knesset, and in the election, and in this, and in that, and we forget, right, the big picture. And we don't see and we don't hear. But there are people who never see and never hear and think that none of this is meaningful in any d- profound way. Right, so we said, so how, right, and this is what happened. Um, we know this has already happened when, when the, at the end of the Galas of Bavel. We had incredible prophets and leaders. Chagai, Zechariah, Ezra, Nehemiah, who are saying, come back home, it's time, the redemption is coming. But nevertheless, there were still great Torah scholars who remained in Bavel. Right? And they rejected it. Why? Because it seemed too small. Right? And, and I'm, I'm only beginning now to really learn, to learn Ezra, Nehemiah, Zechariah, Haggai. I'm starting to, to begin to you know, dip my toe in those waters. But it was very small. It was very disappointing the way it worked. And the second base HaMikdash was, it, it took a long time coming with, with fits and starts, and it was very not exciting. It was very much not the way we left Mitzrayim. And so they said, it can't be, it can't be that this is redemption. It can't be that this is Mashiach. Impossible. It's too small. Right? I mean, it, it, and maybe you can see the connection we're going to draw here, right? So Korach HaMelech Natani Shurla Am Yisrael So Korach, Cyrus, Gives us permission to come back at the end of Galus Bavel. But the land was still filled with plenty of Gentiles who were making us crazy, sort of like our own time. Right? So many people said, this is not the Geula. Right? And so the Navi cries out, right? that, that there are people who scorn these small beginnings, when really that's precisely how redemption is going to come. So, what does this teaching have to do with our story of David HaMelech? Right, Shmuel Hanavi comes. He's a great and holy man, the holiest man of his generation. And yet he comes and he sees somebody who doesn't necessarily fit, right? Because as we'll see in just a moment, David does not look like his older brother, uh, like Eliav. He doesn't look like him. He doesn't look the way Mashiach is supposed to look. He doesn't look the way the anointed one is supposed to look. And he misses it, right? Already here we find a hint to the trouble of our time, right? To the great tragedy of our time. This is, right, I mean, it's one of the great tragedies that you have so many Jewish people. Our, Am Yisrael itself doesn't realize that redemption is happening. And if they would, right? I like to quote uh, our fellow Afradi and Nadia Matar, who likes to say that if another million Jews would show up in Israel right now, right, there would be no question as to whom this, belang, this land belongs. Yehudan, Shamron, none of this, it would be a moot point. A million more Jews, it would be over, right? It would be ours, be done. But so, and the tragedy is they don't realize it, they don't see it, right? Because it doesn't come, it hasn't come the way that they thought it should. There are no magic carpets. It's not so, it doesn't seem so glorious day to day over here, right? It's not so glorious, right? So, mi vaz liyom ketano. Has Hashem designated David based on what he's already done in his life or based on untapped? potential that he sees inside. Well, everything that we know about David Melech will come after, right, only once we meet him, right? We, we don't know anything about him until this point. Everything is in Midrashim. Right? Uh, the measure seems to say 28, right? I, I, I don't know. I haven't done the calculations yet. We probably can calculate it. They're probably Mepharshim who do, because we know he's 70 years old when he dies, and they're probably, you know, we have to do a calculation. I'm sure in one of the Ralbags I haven't gotten to yet. He has, a, at the end of, a, of each parak, he has like very long, you know. He's 30 when he was in the Is he 30? Okay, so it's interesting. So the measures maybe doesn't, doesn't. Uh, so, 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 right, so it doesn't stim exactly. So, okay, I'm not, I'm only, again, I'm only three weeks ahead, so. Uh, we'll get, right, so he, right, because he's seven years the king, I think, right, in, in Hebron and 33. So how, but how long is it between this moment and when he becomes king? That's a little, maybe a little less clear. So be a little less clear. So it could be. So that meant 28 might, maybe would work. But I don't know. But they talk about him as a Na'ar. He seems to be younger than that. Much younger than that. The way that he's talked about. Just, just connected to what Avinia was saying and, uh, and to our own times in terms of the Ketanot. 
So I actually just gave a Dvar Torah on Shabbat following a Dvar Torah I heard of a Rav in America last Shabbat, a big Rav, talking to Akilah, who actually was saying, oh, Koresh, the Jews didn't come back, and, uh, and after that is Purim, and uh, anti-Semitism, da, 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 and Jews in America aren't waking up and saying it's the same story today. Right, it wasn't his kilo. He's talking to a different kilo, okay? I was pleasantly surprised to hear him say that, though, all right? Okay. All right? But, Interesting. Uh, but, wow. uh, the one, but uh, one thing that came to my mind, the biggest difference between Koresh times and today's times is, like we say, like what we learned in uh, Ezra Nehemiah, it was few and they were the poor. They were the poor. And no, the but that's weak. how it started in, 19, in 1900, right? When... If you read Remnissenbaum's memoir, you know, when he came in 1905 mm. and he went to every single settlement in Israel, I mean, it was disastrous. You know, he got, he almost died because of malaria. I mean, the swamps, all that whole, that old story, right? I mean, it was, a, it was, exa- it was, it was as bad as it was with, Kar- when they went back with Koresh and it was the 40,000 really poor people going back, that first Aliyah. Oh my goodness. It was bad. So I don't know. I guess you could see which one was worse, but they were all pretty bad. Uh, well, I like to be, think optimistically and look around th- this table and what this table represents and saying there is a difference. Well, now, now I'm saying... But even not now. Tw- even we're 120 now. plus years later. You know? or I'm saying 100%. I'm saying at the beginning it was right, just right. like it was with courage. Right, right. But the point is, is, that, is that Mashiach, right? right oh, the f- certain people, many people who the Rav Avinir and Rav, Kor- Rav Kook are calling the blind and the deaf believe that the Mashiach is going to be, you know, uh, a Feinstein, you know, or a Soloveitchik, I guess, depending on which yeshiva you went to, right? But, but that's not necessarily Hashem's plan. Hashem says, I see deeper than you, right? And my anointed, the, right, David HaMelech and his great-great-great-grandson, the, the one that we're waiting for, is going to come in a way that you're not necessarily expecting. And it's going to be a combination, it would seem, right? On the one hand of, of Yishai and his glorious heritage, meaning a descendant of David, you have royal blood. And on the other hand, Ruth and conversion and, and the messiness of all that whole complicated story. If it follows the blueprint of Mashiach that we've been shown in David Amelech's background, right, then, then it's going to come in a way that we're not entirely expecting, right? And, and if it's following the blueprint as, as Rav Cook understood it, then, right, we, we're, we're experiencing Shaul now, maybe coming to the end of Shaul's reign, right? And we're he- heading into the, the reign of David Amelech in some way soon. Um, but but it's, the point is, it's not going to come the way that we expect. But let's get to David. Number 15. So he sends for him, and, and he was admoni. He was uh, ruddy, reddish, with beautiful eyes, and good looking. And Hashem says, Kum Get up and anoint him. This is the one. So he takes the horn of oil. And he anoints him. So that's it. He anoints him. The spirit of Hashem comes down upon David. And then Shmuel gets up and leaves. Talk about awkward, right? This is, uh, we'll come back to that. I mean, it's like, this is the opposite of the Shmuel, Shaul, love-hate story. It's like, okay, he anoints him. And he, oh, he's, this is the permanent one? This is the one who's going to be the father of Mashiach? All right, I'm out of here. The crazy it's like, thing is, it's unbelievable. Even though it's not supposed to be on anything based on how he looks, it's still giving his looks. Ah, so this 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 is amazing. We got to understand this. This is uh, like so so incredible. It, we're obviously you know Hashem is drawing, a, you know, and a connection to a Shmuel right through Hashem is drawing this connection to to Esav, right? Who's the only other person who's called Admoni? But Yitzayir shown Admoni Kuloka Deretzayar. So he looks like Esav, right? Which is a little bit frightening, right? Um, and, and yet, right, he's, he's not exactly Esav, right? We know that he's not Esav, right? Is the Vilna Gon, I'm not going to read it inside, but this is the famous Vilna Gon, that people are born with a certain mazel, right? We're born with a certain inclination. So if you're born with a certain mazel of blood, you can either be a murderer or you could be a shochet or a moel, you know? So David seems to be born with something of Esav in him. That doesn't mean that he's going to be Esav, right? And so... You know, what happens with David, right? So, and, and so I'm just skipping here to the end. The Indian kibid David Nemar, Buhu Admoni, right? So he's Admoni, he's like Esav, who was a bloodthirsty murderer. Right? But, and so Shmuel was, you know, was afraid um, that I'm seeing an Esav here. But no, he was Mavir Midosav, right? I mean, it's amazing how forgiving David is over the course of his life. God willing, we'll get to that, you know, way in the future. 
right? He forgives people. It's incredible. He's not, he's not this bloodthirsty, ven- you know, looking for vengeance. He has beautiful eyes. We'll come to judge, exactly. So Kevin, so says the Barishas Rabba, Kevin Chirah Shmuel is David Admoni, Nitarei. Shmuel was afraid. But Amar Right? Maybe he's a murderer like Esav. So Hashem says, He has beautiful eyes. Esav midas atzmohu areg. Esav killed people because he felt like it. David killed a lot of people and chopped off a lot of thumbs, right? Which is maybe something we should consider doing in our time. Right, because if you, your thumbs are chopped off, you can't grasp onto, on, you can't shoot guns. Right, that's something we should consider. Uh, this is recorded, okay? <laughs> can I, can I, right, but I'm just saying, David Amelech, right, David Amelech. But he did it al pi Hashem, al pi Hashem. Okay, so this is David. Um, just some, so we see there here that there's a duality with David Hamelech, right? That it's it's highlighting. On the one hand, he's a man of great physicality and strength. And on the other hand, there's something very deep and profound about this person. Um, the eyes are so deep, right? There's a depth that will one day be expressed through Sefer Tehillim, through his lofty praises of Hashem. He has eyes to see that other people don't have, right? But, but why is this depth conveyed through David's beautiful eyes, right? What is, what, what is the meaning of these beautiful eyes, right? Does it mean that he had these dreamy blue eyes that all the women fell in love with? And a lot of women did fall in love with him. But maybe it's true he had beautiful blue eyes, but there was something very beautiful about his eyes, eyes to see that goes beyond just, uh, just appearance. So how do we understand this? So pretty quickly, because it's already uh, 847. So I was thinking about this, and it struck me that the tragedy of Jewish history, the root of all of our pain, it begins on the 9th of Av, right? And it begins with the sin of the spies, when, they, when Am Yisrael rejects Eretz Yisrael. Um, and the Meraglim, Ure'item et ha'aretz. You should go and see the land and see what it is, if it's good, right? And, and, to, and how strong it is and so on and so forth. So they have this, right? They, 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 Moshe commands the spies to see, but they see only superficially, right? Even all the funerals that they saw were, was really Hashem's blessing. But they didn't see the deeper blessing there. That, that, that's why they weren't caught as spies, right? Hashem did that for them. All they saw was a land filled with death, right? It was a sin of the eyes. They didn't see the land properly. And Rav Charlap talks about this, right? The, the Talmud Chaver, the student and friend of Rav Kook, he talks about this, so just to go a little bit, just very quickly. He says, Right? So we find that when it comes to Eretz Yisrael, the land of prophecy, whoever is connected to the spirit of, of the Sod, of the, the secrets of Torah, Kabbalah, right? and, and, and the depth of Torah, they immediately feel and sense the holiness and the value of Eretz Yisrael. Rabbi, Rabbi Nachman, famously, the moment he came into Eretz Yisrael, he got off the boat, and he's like, okay, I'm done, I can go back now. Like, he immediately sent, he was like, I got what I came for. In the first moment, just stepping on, I don't know, on the rocks of Akko, or wherever he was, right? <laughs> like, it's, right, he had, because he was a person who was connected in that way. And um, the the parchment, meaning the, the white space around the letters, the part that's not, you know, that's not written explicitly, <laughs> the hidden uh, piece of, of uh, aspect of Eretz Yisrael, right, which is the hidden, like the white space around the letters, um, whatever beautiful things we can say about Eretz Yisrael, that's the printed, you know, th- those are the words on the parchment. But there's so much more beyond that, right, that you, that you need to be connected in order to be able to see and to sense. <laughs> So he says, So these pratzim, these people who don't get it, who separate, you know, they don't grasp, you know, they, they separate between the Eretz Yisrael that they see versus the Eretz Yisrael that, that they, they can only, you know, which is, which is beyond uh, physical sight. Of the Eretz Yisrael of the ideal and the vision and the deep holiness versus the actual practical you know, streets of Eretz Yisrael with trash on the floor, right? So you have these two aspects of Eretz Yisrael. Um, so the people who distinguish between the two and can't see one within the other, they bring terrible disaster upon Am Yisrael and the ikvas of the Meshicha. They're, continu- you know, they're continuing the sin of the spies, right? Who didn't see more deeply in Eretz Yisrael. 
So, and, and, he, and he goes on, he talks, On the one hand, you have the really from Jews who talk about how beautiful and holy Eretz Yisrael is, but then they hate everything that's happening on the ground. Right? Oh, it's when this is not religious enough, and this is not that enough, and not that enough. They don't like the actual physical, real, you know, concrete Eretz Yisrael. They only connect to the vision of Eretz Yisrael. Then you have the other Jews who only see the real concrete, the secular Jews only seeing that, and they don't realize that there's something deep and, and unbelievably lofty about this land. Right? We have to be able to see both. And, and it's this brokenness of seeing, the two kinds of brokenness, right? The Jew in Passaic, who, who's like davening about Eretz Yisrael, but I don't want to go there. They have a crazy, ridiculous system of government, and they'll take all my money in taxes, right? Versus the secular Jew fighting in the army, defending his land, but it's a land like any other. So if he gets a good job in, in Silicon Valley, he'll leave, right? So that brokenness of seeing and not being able to see and to appreciate and value both together, right? That's the brokenness, he says, of Ikvesa de Meshicha that we're dealing with in our generation, in our time, which I thought is so incredibly powerful. It's that brokenness of seeing, the inability to see clearly, right? This blindness towards the land, right? This is the blind, right? This is all represented by the, blind, that, the, the, the blindness of Shmuel. Shmuel was tricked to see only superficially, right? Whereas Rav Cook, I mean, I, I don't, I, there's not really so much time, but he, this is like one of these letters where he's just, he's writing like early, early on, like the early 1900s, like that first few years that he's in Eretz Yisrael. There's only letter number 208, so it's probably like 1906 or 1907 when, when like half the country is sick with malaria and you, and you, can't, like, and you need to take a mule to get anywhere. You know, it's like, I mean, that's how bad it was. And yet the way Rav Cook writes with his eyes, he has the eyes of David HaMelech, right? He says, I'm writing this letter from Rehovot. We came in B'nai Besi with my family. Yesterday, we like to come these last few years at the time of the reaping of the grapes. What can I, I can't even like, describe it to you. My precious brother, Hadrat Eretz Chemda, the beauty, the glory, the splendor of this amazing land. It's just revealing our beauty in Hadara, Bechom Makom. I'm like, what Israel is he seeing? Because let me tell you, Rehobot in 1907 was not that glorious. It was really not. If you look up pictures, it's not. But, but Rav Kook, and he goes on and on here. And he even says, a couple, four, four lines down, Right, liftoch lo petach tikva. This is the oh, right. What is petach tikva? It's the doorway of hope, right? The karne or Yeshua, the karen, right? The glory of or Yeshua. Rav Cook already saw that in the dirty, filthy beginnings of these little, these, these totally unimpressive little settlements in 1907, right? Here in Eretz Yisrael, Rav Cook was able. He was able to see it already. That that's how deeply he saw. And and every tree that was planted was, ah, oh, he treasured it. And it didn't matter if a secular guy was standing there without a yarmulke. He's like, there's a Jew planting a tree. He was able to be makasher, right, both sides of Eretz Yisrael with the complete seeing, right? This brokenness of seeing, right, th- th- this is our problem. The nations don't grasp it yet, right? right? W- once we were blinded, if we ourselves don't see what Am Yisrael is meant to be and what Eretz Yisrael really is, when we lost the ability to properly see ourselves and our land, so it's only natural that the nations of the world are not going to see us Clearly, right? And, and, so, you, and we, so we've suffered for 2,000 years from the Christians thinking that they replaced us and that the land of Israel was replaced by Rome, right? Because we didn't see it clearly, so the rest of the world didn't clearly, didn't see it clearly. Um, and so even Yishai, the man who never sinned, he, he's one of four people who never sinned, he did not grasp who his son was. He didn't grasp it, right? All they saw was Admoni. All they saw was this guy, the product of some imaginary sin, Right? And they couldn't see beyond that superficial appearance because their eyes were cloudy too. I mean, the whole world, all of us, our eyes are cloudy. Right? We look at the world and we think that we know what's important. But the Gemara here, there's the famous Gemara M'sachim, right? the Olam HaFuch Ra'isi, where, right, where somebody, one of the, the Amaraim almost died and he was sort of half dead. He was like, you know, saw heaven. And, this came, and when, he, when he survived, he came back down and his father said, what'd you see? And he said, I saw the great people were really small up there and the small people down here are really great up there. It was like crazy, right? Olam ha I saw an upside down world. And his father said, Olam barur, right? He said, you saw a clear world. You, finally, you saw, just you had a glimpse 
uh, with, with true eyes of what, what is real in the world. We think certain people here are important and they're really not, right? You saw what's real. You saw what's real. Um, and, and David HaMelech, right, is going to bring this clarity. He's going to bring it. Um, Rav Harlap, again, I just I can't, I can't get over him. He's just, uh, he's just unbelievable. But he says, oh, I'm running out of time. Okay. When he says, Histaklut harazit, right, somebody who's able to see deeper and to see the secrets, Yodat heitev ki Anybody who can see really deeply knows that whatever they see revealed is in front of our eyes right now. I'm looking at it, everybody. We're seeing only the tip of an iceberg, right? A person is an iceberg, right? There's so much, we only show a little bit above the surface of the water, uh, and there's an enormous mountain of ice below that nobody sees, right? That's each of us, right? We all see each other, but are we really seeing each other, right? That's the a great challenge of this world, of this life. But we have to first recognize that at least that we're not seeing, um, so people who, who are truly close to Hashem and are able to see things in a deeper way, a person who sees truly with clarity, who's able to wipe away the clouds from their eyes, right? once they see and understand how all the pieces fit together, what is their natural reaction? Sheer. Shira, song. David HaMelech is the man of song. Right? David HaMelech, right, the one who nobody else could see clearly, he's the only one who could see everybody else clearly. Right? He's the man with Yefei Enayim. And so therefore he is also the Jew, right, who will, the great singer of Am Yisrael. Because it, once you see clearly, and you understand how Hashem is running the world, and you see it, and the power of it, you're overwhelmed by song, and the words flow forth. You can't not sing. Right, once you understand how Hashem is running the world, when you see clearly, right? Um, and, and this is something later on that Michal, the daughter of Shaul, right? We'll talk a lot about her. But later on, in the tragic moment where David Amelech is dancing like crazy, later when he's king in Yerushalayim, right? And the Aron is being brought to Yerushalayim. He's dancing like a madman at Shirat David on Simchas Torah, right? Who had too much to drink. That's what he looks like. And, and Michal looks at him. It says, She looks at him from the window and she's disgusted. That's not how a king should act, right? So says David HaMelech, right? <laughs> you don't get it, right? You're, you are your father's daughter. You don't see clearly. David HaMelech sees differently, right? I see Hashem. I see this is the glory of God and I'm going to dance, right? Really, really, really fascinating. So, but just to bring it back, to end it, because I know we're out of time. Why was David only supposed to live for three hours of life? And why was Adam so willing to give 70 years of his own life to this particular child? So I think that the, we could say, and I don't know if this is true, but this is just, it all kind of came together. I, I thought it made sense, at least when I put it together. So you'll tell me if you think it makes sense. But the whole brokenness of the world began with not seeing correctly. Adam and Eve, the fruit, it looked so delicious, right? It looked good. It looked right. The snake <coughs> seemed to be friendly, the nachash. But it was all wrong. They didn't, they didn't see anything clearly. And, and there was a great brokenness that came to the world. That's the brokenness. It, didn't even, it started for Am Yisrael on Tisha B'av, but it started for all of humanity with, with, with Adam and Chava. Am Yisrael, led by David HaMelech, is meant to fix the brokenness of the world, to fix the brokenness of Adam and Eve, right? to help the world see what's real, to see truth and not falsehood. And so David is a fixing for Adam, and for Shaul, and for Shmuel, for all, of, uh, for all of Am Yisrael. Had Adam HaRishon not sinned, had humanity not become blind to Hashem's presence, then we wouldn't have needed David, which is why David was not really supposed to exist. He was supposed to be here for three hours. But, but, but then Adam sins, and he realizes, I need this guy. We need this man. Right? He's, my, he's my fixing, meaning the fixing for all of Adam, all of humanity. Right? So David needs my 70 years. Right? And so, right, he's the fixing for, he's the fixing for Adam Harishon, and worthy of those 70 years and much, much more. Uh, the three letters of Adam's name, I know we're over time with Marv, just one minute. Aleph, Dalid, Mem. Adam, David, Mashiach. Right? Before Adam sinned, David, Hamelech, and Mashiach were irrelevant. It was just, it would have been enough to just have Aleph. But the, the Dalit and the Mem, right, they come in after the sin. 
and they become crucial components in rectifying the world and bringing us back to that state of Gan Eden. And why did David's background have to be so messy? Right? Because that's the whole point of David HaMelech, which is to teach people to see, right? to teach people to not look at the outside and the haziness and the messiness, all right? to pierce through beyond what the eyes can see. Hashem says, I look at the heart, I don't look at the outside. Right? This blurring of David right, is, is the lesson that we're meant to learn from David. Right? That's the whole lesson. That's the whole point. Mm-hmm. Right? David is not like Moshe Rabbeinu. He's not circumcised from birth. Right? He's not obviously holy from birth. Right? He's the proof that Hashem sees more deeply than man, that Hashem looks at our neshamos, at our, you know, looking for that inner connection to, to, to God, not what we look like on the outside. That's the whole thing. So God willing, soon we'll see that day when Ben David comes, and he'll teach us and the entire world to see. Amen. Amen. Amen.